0: Good morning. We're reading this morning from Matthew chapter 8 and beginning at verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, Oh, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise, Praise to Christ. the word. Friends, a very good morning. Uh, It's lovely to uh, be with you. Apologies for some of the uh, the technical hitches this morning. Hopefully uh, it still worked and uh, there's been an element of chaos here. It's felt like we've been in the middle of a storm, Uh, but the Lord is good. And isn't it wonderful to sing those uh, amazing truths and remember just how good our God is? In a moment, I'm going to pray. But first, I I just want to thank all those who uh, took part in that video. That was hugely encouraging. And it reminds us what a blessing it is to have such wise, godly, older folk in our church family. Uh, and uh, if you don't know those folk, can I encourage you to, to to get to know them? It just reminds us we need each other. And uh, there's some folk uh, who've been helping some of the older folk with, with shopping. And to, to make a friend like that and get their wisdom back is, is a great blessing and part of what church is. Uh, happy birthday too to Glynis. Uh, I hear it's your birthday too. We, we missed you at the beginning. Uh, a little bird me, a birdie texted me or tweeted me or did something to me in the service. Um, let's pray uh, before we jump into Matthew chapter 8. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are indescribable, that you put the snow in the sky, that you control the weather, that you control the birds, you control everything. And so, as we come to this passage, a familiar passage to many of us, we pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would challenge us, that you would give us the comfort, the encouragement, perhaps the rebuke that we need this morning as we meet with the Lord Jesus. Uh, And so, in his name we pray. Amen. I've never seen the film Final Destination, but there's a scene that made it into the trailer that is burned into my mind. Some college students are on their way to Paris uh, and they board a plane and one of their number falls asleep in the uh, in the seat as everyone else is boarding. And he wakes up in an absolute panic. Uh, he He's frightened that the plane is going to to blow up. He, he's dreamt it will. Uh, and, and he's panicking and, and he's panicking so much that the, the stewardesses get him off the plane with all of his friends. And you cut to the uh, the lounge where you see his friends livid with him. A stupid dream, and we've lost our holiday to Paris. And you see in the background the plane uh, taxing and then taking off and then exploding. And their anger turns to relief. What a narrow escape. Thank goodness we didn't get on that plane. Well, as we pick up Matthew chapter eight, there are a number of people, I imagine on the bank as Jesus gets into the boat who have that feeling? Few. I'm so glad I didn't get into the boat. Few. We had a narrow escape. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus' authority over sickness. Great crowds of people came to him. Uh, They brought uh, people who were physically sick, people with uh, demons, and Jesus cast them all out. But we saw at the end of last time that he wanted to get away from the crowds to be with the disciples uh, who who he could spend particular time with. And he invited others to go with him. But he said, if you come, I want you to be devoted. There's a cost to coming with me. I want devoted disciples, not fickle fans. And clearly a number of people stayed on the bank. Just a few got into the boat. Well, you can imagine as uh, the boat sets off, some wondering. from the bank? Did we do the right thing? Should we have gone with Jesus? He's such a great man. And then this violent storm unexpectedly comes up and the people in the boat think they're going to die. The people on the land, imagine it's going to sink. And you can imagine the sense of relief. I'm so glad I didn't follow Jesus. I'm so glad I didn't get into that boat. Well, there are four things I want us to see this morning. And the first is this, there's an unexpected cost to following Jesus. There's an unexpected cost to following Jesus. The reason the disciples get caught in this storm is because they follow Jesus. This event, this storm is recorded in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, as well as in Matthew's gospel. But the way Matthew tells it makes it clear that he's got the theme of discipleship in mind. Uh, the, the context is one of discipleship, and the way it's written underlines that. Just have a look at verse 23. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. The previous section's all been about following him. They get into this storm because they follow Jesus. Well, the boat sets off. And we're told, verse 24, there's a, uh, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. And we see the disciples terrified. They think, verse 25, they're going to drown. And it's all the more remarkable because they are professional veteran fishermen. They've been out on this lake for thousands of times. But today, they anticipate will be their last. They think they're going to drown. And it all happened because they followed Jesus. Those who turn back, who didn't go with him, are safe on the shore. And it just reminds us that sometimes there are unexpected consequences, unexpected costs of following Jesus. Sometimes bad things happen because we follow him. Sometimes those kind of things aren't unexpected. We considered last week uh, the verse from the Apostle Paul that says, whoever wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm reading at the moment a biography of the Salvation Army. There's still Salvation Army churches all around the world. But as they began in the 19th century, they they worked primarily in in slums. And uh, part of their great success as they went into the slums and preached the gospel and, and people became Christians, part of their success was that they took people who'd just become Christians and made them tell their story of what God had done with them. And in this book, there's a, a boxer. He'd been a champion fighter and uh, he becomes a christian and they get him up to explain what jesus has done and at the end of the service people queue up outside to knock him down because they know that he'll turn the other cheek and so this prize fighter is beaten up because he follows jesus sometimes the link between following jesus and the cost is very obvious but other times it happens without any link any obvious link to our faith The storm made me think of the book of Job. Some of you will know the book of Job well, but we're told in the book of Job that he's a righteous man. A number of times uh, that's highlighted. Now, he's righteous. That doesn't mean he's perfect, but he's a believer. And Satan goes to God and says, God, consider this man Job. He only follows you because you've blessed him. And God says, that's not true. He's a faithful follower. And Satan says, Let me let me attack him. And God allows him, uh, allows Satan to take away his children, to kill his children, uh, to strike him with an illness, to destroy his house. And still Job remains firm. And from the reader's perspective, it's clear why it's happening, because Job is a believer. But from his perspective, it doesn't seem like that at all. And friends, it's important for us to understand this. Because when something bad happens to us, we can easily think we've done something wrong. That maybe God is angry with us. And sometimes that is the case. You can imagine a a scenario where uh, we do do something wrong. Somebody does do something wrong, uh, and there's a consequence. Somebody gets drunk, and they jump in their car, and they speed down the highway, and they put their car through a, a fence, and they end up in a wheelchair. There's a kind of clear link. But so often... Uh, that same drunk driver will jump in the car and speed down the road and knock somebody else over and they get out of the car absolutely fine and the other person, the innocent person's in the wheelchair. And so often in this world, bad things happen in an almost random way. They happen because the world is messed up. That's precisely why Jesus came into the world, to deal with the world uh, and to 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 restore it, to fix its problems. But sometimes... Sometimes bad things happen precisely because we're following Jesus. And we need as Christians to know this so that when something bad happens, we don't assume it's because we've done something wrong. We don't think it's because God has failed us. We don't listen to the voice in our head that says we've taken a wrong turn. We shouldn't have followed him. The one we follow, the most holy man, the most godly man ever to walk the earth, ended up nailed to a cross. Now, there'll be some of you who are in deep trials. Life is very hard, it's very painful, and perhaps it has been for a very long time. And people around you maybe are saying, don't you follow Jesus? He's not looking after you. Perhaps you yourself have begun to wonder, should you be following him? Maybe life would be easier if you didn't. And this episode helps to recalibrate our thinking. Life may be hard, but it doesn't mean we've gone the wrong way. You may be in a storm, but it may be precisely because you are faithfully following Jesus. And it doesn't mean that your devotion is misplaced. As we'll see in a moment, the best place to be is to be with Jesus. Well, the first thing we see is the unexpected cost of following Jesus the unexpected cost of following Jesus. Then second, we see a prayer of faith. I think the disciples get a bad rap in this passage. In part, it's because Jesus goes on to rebuke them. But notice what they do. It's remarkable. This storm is blowing up all around them. We see that Jesus is asleep in the boat, right in the middle of it, and they wake him up. They shout, Lord, save us. We're drowning. And when you think about it, it's remarkable because Jesus is a landlubber. He grew up in Nazareth, a place far away from the sea, from from the lake. And uh, he's probably got very little experience on boats. What is he going to do? Uh, hopefully in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to move into Quinns Road Chapel. And at some point in the future, there'll be some building work to do. But just imagine that uh, people like Pete Farr and Ryan Stribus and Milton Hayward, guys who are good at building things, are doing that work. And somehow the, the wall begins to collapse. Well, uh, how ridiculous would it be if they came running in to my study and said, James, James, the building's falling down. Rescue us. I don't even know how to hammer in a nail properly. They're professionals, at least semi-professionals. Well, it's the same kind of thing. What is Jesus, the landlubber, going to do? Humanly speaking, he can't do anything. But they know by faith he's more than just a man. By faith... They know that he is God stepped in. And notice what they call him. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. And their faith may be small, but it's a faith that saves. This wonderful prayer, this trust to see Jesus as the one who has the power to save, is the thing that begins to solve their problem. Just reminds us we can always go to Jesus. Humanly speaking, it may seem that there's no way out. we can always say, Lord, save us. Lord, save me. Well, we've got the unexpected cost of following Jesus. We've got this beautiful prayer of faith. And then third, we've got a double rebuke. A double rebuke. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. But first, he rebukes the disciples. And uh, that's another thing unique to Matthew. In the other Gospels, it's the other way around. But Uh, Matthew highlights that Jesus rebukes the disciples. Lord, save us, they say. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. This phrase, you of little faith, is a phrase used at a few key moments in the gospel. And all the times that it occurs, the the, the disciples don't or haven't related the reality of who God is, the reality of who Jesus is to their situation. The phrase comes up three times in Matthew's gospel and it's worth looking them up later. Do, do a search for the phrase, uh, you have little faith. Perhaps the most famous one comes in the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus says, knowing by faith that you have a heavenly father will transform how you worry. Just listen to these words. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or you or your drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even one of these, uh, sorry, not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed as one of, the, of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Do you see? Knowing we have a heavenly Father changes our worries. And notice Jesus doesn't say they have no faith. We've seen they have a saving faith. They call on him, save us, Lord. But their faith is small. It's an unintegrated faith. If you like. It's a faith that doesn't let the reality of who God is, of who Jesus is, impact the situation they find themselves in. Matthew 6 makes it clear. If you know you have a heavenly father, it will shape what you worry about. This makes it clear if you know Jesus is in the boat with you, it will impact your fears. I think it's important to note. He says, Why are you so afraid? He doesn't say why are you afraid? this storm is terrifying. It's dangerous. And it's not that if we believe in Jesus, we can go around with a permanent grin, that we can pretend that things are dangerous, aren't dangerous. There's a sense that an appropriate fear is really important. It stops us doing reckless things. But the reality of who God is, the reality that Jesus is with us should impact and modify our fears. It's possible to be saved to be a Christian, to be a genuine believer and not let that impact us rightly. And when we do, someone has commented, it's as if we live as spiritual orphans. As we trust in Jesus, we're welcomed into God's family. God is our heavenly father. We have a father who loves and cares for us, and yet we live as orphans. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism puts this. It's a question and answer about God from uh, the time of the Reformation. And and the first question based on the creed is this. What do you believe when you say from the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Well, the answer is a little bit wordy, but hear these wonderful words. I believe that the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence. That is to say, God rules the whole world. I believe that this God is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this. Because he is almighty God and desires to do this because he is my faithful father. Wonderful words. And if you never thought about this, can I urge you to think about it? It may be that you are a saved Christian. You're you're a born again believer. But you've never thought how the loving care of Jesus, the welcome into the heavenly father's family impacts your fears, your anxieties, your hopes, your dreams. Can I encourage you to think about that? When you think about it, it's odd, isn't it? We're willing to trust God for our eternal future, to look after us, to care for us for millions and billions of years into the future. But we doubt that he's able to look after us for a few short years on earth. And so when something terrifying happens, we panic out of control. Well, Jesus would rebuke us but not a harsh rebuke. You see, this is a loving rebuke. It invites us to live our lives in line with the reality of who Jesus is, who God is for us. Because when we don't, we rob ourselves of the joy of his presence. But of course, this is hard. It's hard to live in the light of that reality, which is why the second part of this rebuke is so important. Because what Jesus does next shows us why we can trust him. What he does next shows us it's not wishful thinking to follow him. It's not wishful thinking to trust him. Because Jesus shows us that when God steps down, he's able to tame the environment. The man in the boat is not just Jesus, the landlubber. It's Jesus, the son of God. And see what happens. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. Friends, these are familiar words. It's easy to to gloss over their meaning. Imagine the scene. It's a ferocious storm. It's utterly terrifying. Their clothes are wet to the bone as the spray comes over the boat. The, 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 The taste of sick is in their throats. They expect in a few moments to be at the bottom of that lake. The wind howls in their ears. They panic. Tears are perhaps in their eyes. And then Jesus speaks, and it's calm. The sea is perfectly calm, and effortlessly Jesus transforms the situation. With all of our great technological might, with all of our modern technology, humans cannot control a storm. We can't calm a tsunami, we can't stop a hurricane, and there Jesus does it with just a few words. A few days ago, I went for a walk around Travis Wetland. And it was a beautiful day, but in the distance, there were some black clouds. And after about 20 minutes, these black clouds were suddenly over my head and it was pouring with rain. And I was so tempted to shout at the the rain and the wind, Stop! I know that my word stop can stop my kids running in the road. But I didn't shout stop at the wind and the waves because it would have been ridiculous. And yet here is Jesus with a few words. And actually, when we think about it, there are so many situations where it seems that life is utterly out of control. Relationships are rough. Our finances are in a pickle. Our spiritual life is in a a stupor. We try all sorts of things, and yet we're slow to turn to God. And yet if Jesus has the power over nature, if he's able to control the extreme, then he's able to look after me to protect me in the midst of chaos, and then once my life on earth is done, to receive me into glory through death. Well, that final, that that, that scene, that perfectly calm scene, brings us to our final point, which is this, an urgent question. It leaves us with an urgent question. Verse 27, we read, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're amazed. You would be, wouldn't you? And then they ask that question. What kind of man is this? And the answer to it is so important. It's urgent we have an answer. Friend, I wonder how you would answer. Because the answer we have changes everything. Clearly, this story is pushing us towards the answer that this man is God. This man is God stepped in. The Bible makes it clear that the Psalms celebrate a number of times. It's only God who can still the waves. And you see the point? If this is God, if this man, Jesus, has the power over nature, then we should follow him. We should get in the boat and follow him wherever he wants us to go. Somebody might say, "Okay, well, I can see that that's where Matthew is pushing me. I can see that that's what the Bible seems to say. But how do I know I can trust Matthew. It's a great question. It's a really great question. It's a question that's come up a number of times in our online Christian Explore group and I'm really pleased it has. It's such an important question in a time of such fake news, of people inventing stories. How do we know that Matthew hasn't done that? Well there's lots we could say. There's the way that Matthew gives and the other disciples give their lives to defend what would be a lie if it wasn't true. If that's an issue for you, I'd love you to be in touch with me or or, or a Christian friend. There's great answers to that question. But I fear that sometimes that question isn't genuine. It's a way of not answering the question. I can see that Matthew claims that Jesus is God. I can see that the Bible makes that claim. I see that it demands I should follow Jesus, but can't trust the Bible. So I won't think about it anymore. And friend, if that's you, Hand on heart, if that's you, if you are ducking the question, can I plead with you not to do that? Because it's an urgent question that changes everything. If the wind and the waves obey this man, Jesus, then he's a man worth following. The guys on the shore, as they saw the boat go out and get caught in the storm, might have gone a few. We had a lucky escape but if they could see to the end if they could see jesus great power to rebuke the wind and the waves that they would know that even if there's a cost to following him it's worth it because jesus has got their back this man jesus the one with tremendous power over heaven and earth is the christian's friend he's the christian's brother welcomed into the father into the family of the heavenly father He's a Christian's Lord. So if you're a Christian, trust him. Trust him. Because when we do, it transforms everything. It transforms life. It transforms death. Who is this man? One to follow. Because even the wind and the waves obey him. Trust him trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for those today who feel like they're in the midst of a storm, those for whom life is hard, those for whom maybe there is an accusing voice in their own heads or in those around them saying, why do you follow Jesus? We pray that Today, you would make your presence with them clear. We pray, dear Father, for each of us that we would have a large faith, a faith that calls out to, save, uh, to Jesus to save us, but then that integrates that reality that you are our heavenly Father, that Jesus is our brother, that the Holy Spirit lives within us with our daily circumstances. We pray that that would transform what we fear, what we worry about, what we love, what we hope that we might live confidently and secure in the knowledge that you are for us. Father, for those who don't have an answer to this question, who is this man? We pray you'd help them to seek and to find, that they too may say this man is the one who the wind and the waves obey, so I will follow him. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.